Good evening to you. Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Amos. The book of Amos. Last week we looked at the first two visions Amos is shown by the Lord. They were visions of judgment, visions of destruction on Israel. In Amos chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, there's a vision of a locust swarm. In verses 4 through 6, a consuming fire. And concerning both of those visions, God was merciful. He listened to Amos when he pled for pardon and compassion from God for Israel. And so we took a message from that last week and looked at the idea of compassion and the importance of it and, and how that God will grant it to a nation when the righteous pray for it for a time. Tonight's vision is of a different sort. We're going to look at the next two visions tonight. And where Amos was given the chance to seek pardon from God in the first two visions, in the next two, he's not given that opportunity. The time has come for God's judgment to be leveled against Israel, and none can turn him away this time. Their departure from his ways is complete, and he must take action against them for their sins. Tonight, our primary focus is about God's judgment. But not just about the judgment of God and how just it is, but the process that gets him to judgment. The process that he goes through with humanity, where he begins, where the middle of that process lies, and where the end of it is. How we get there and how to recognize where we are today. Let's read Amos 7, verses 7 through 9. Thus he showed me, Amos says, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line. And then the Lord said, behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be desolated and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Now, if you're not familiar with the idea or the object that is a plumb line, you may be envisioning several small purple fruits laid out in order. Uh, a plumb line, but that's not it. Not what we're dealing with tonight. What God's dealing with is a, a sort of string with a weight attached to the end. And you're going to, to lift it up, and what I understand is that uh, you could either have that weight on it and pluck the string and it would leave a chalk line that was absolutely straight, or you could just hang it and see whether or not the wall was straight up and down or if it was sort of leaning one way or the other. It's a masonry tool. But here's the point of using a plumb line as the example, as the symbol. Every time you stretch the plumb line, it'll be straight. It never changes. It's always the same. It is the standard. And so God is going to use a standard to measure His people. And the standard He's going to use is His covenant with Israel that they made so many years ago as they came out of Egypt out to Mount Sinai. They made a covenant with God. They agreed to certain things. They, they understood His will. And that didn't change. It's the plumb line. It's the thing that stays the same all the time. And so God's going to stretch that plumb line and see just how crooked His people have become. 
And so the result is, is very clear. God's going to judge Israel. All the nations of the world will be judged as well. Amos chapters 1 and 2 teach us that. But for us, it's valuable to recognize, again, the process that got us here. Because this is not where God begins. God doesn't begin by stretching the plumb line that you've never seen before. And if you're straying off of it, well, He's just going to destroy you right off the bat. It's not the way that He works. It's not where He begins. And as you read through the Scriptures, you encounter nations in different parts of God's process of dealing with humanity. Remember when uh, in Genesis 15, about verse 16, God's talking to Abram and He's calling him out of his country and He shows him the Amorites and He says their iniquity is not yet full. It's not time yet for them to be destroyed, but four generations and they will be. So there's a process God goes through and you see these nations in different points of it as you look through. And if you don't understand the way that God works and the way God treats us as humans, you may wonder why one gets a pass where the other doesn't. And why the first time we hear about uh, perhaps Sodom and Gomorrah, they seem to be really terrible and about to get fire rained on them. What is the process? That's an important question to answer. So let's start with Israel. Because the Old Testament acts in this case as a sort of mirror for what we have today. And Israel acts as a mirror for the church and many of the ways God deals with us. And so let's look back. When God called Israel out of Egyptian slavery, He did so because He heard their cries and felt compassion on them. Remember, that's where the first two visions of Amos were. Amos pled to God to pardon, to, to stop the judgment, and so God did. He heard the cry. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their sufferings. And so I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And so God saved them. He showed compassion to them. Not because they were the greatest sort of people. They hardly got out of Egypt. And He's already telling them, I ought to just destroy the whole lot of you and start over. He showed them compassion that they didn't deserve, didn't earn. And so He begins dealing with humanity with compassion. God led them through the wilderness. He provided food and water so that they would survive in a place where they, by rights, should have died many times over. And even though, He did all that, even though Amos 5, 25-27, says that they were even serving idols and carrying the idols with them at that time. So God is showing them this great compassion and doing things that they never would have deserved, even even though they were rebellious people, He's leading them and blessing them. And eventually, He led that nation into the land of Canaan. In Joshua chapter 3, they crossed the Jordan. Going into Canaan land, God fought their battles. He defeated their enemies as they served Him. And He blessed them and made them a great nation. But the people of Israel rebelled against God. 
They began again serving idols, serving men as their kings, and forgot the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. And for a time, God stayed His judgment. But now in the time of Amos, we see God's judgment can no longer be put off. The plumb line has been brought out. And He will stretch it across His people and show them how far they had fallen, how far their rebellion had taken them, and there would be no one to save them from His wrath and His judgment. In the vision of the plumb line, the places of false worship they set up would be destroyed. That's Amos 7 verse 9. Those places of false worship. And then there's another vision in chapter 8. The vision of the summer fruit. It's the harvest. It's bringing in the good things. But he says instead of a harvest of fruit in verses 2 through 4, there's going to be a harvest of corpses. Because of their wickedness. Because they mistreated the needy among them. Trampled them. And so in that we see a process that God takes with us. He begins with compassion and mercy, offering a covenant with us as a means of fellowship with Him. There are terms, of course, attached to the covenant, but, but we're welcome to make it. And He waits for a time for us to respond, to join in that covenant, to be with Him. And then He waits for those who've strayed from the covenant to return. But there comes a time when God's judgment is not able to be put off, when the limits of His patience have been reached, and He must come in judgment on those who rebel against Him. That's the process we see in the Old Testament. Played out with Israel especially, but also in bits and pieces with all the other nations of the world that are around them. And we see the same process playing out in the pages of the New Testament. In John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we find that oh so familiar verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Do you understand that that is identifying the process God takes and the first step in it? He says He didn't send Jesus to judge the world. He sent Him to save the world. That's the beginning of the new covenant is salvation offered from God. Compassion, a sacrifice we never could have earned or deserved. But God sent Him. Because that's how He begins dealing with us. Compassionate, loving, forgiving, sacrificing. And then He did more than that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, we're told that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. So not only did God give His Son to us as a sacrifice for our sins to take away every consequence that's terrible because of them, but then He also communicated to us the message of how to be the best in life. How to have the best sort of life. The way that's pleasing to Him. 
those who would be saved have to recognize the price that was paid for them and honor the word that was brought. In 1 Peter 1, 17-19, we read a passage that it charges us to live a holy life. He says, if you address as Father, 1 Peter 1, verse 17, if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. The reason for our fear, he says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. If God had paid gold or silver for us, we could pay that back and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But he didn't use anything that was perishable, anything of this world. He used, verse 19, precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And so there is a price that's paid, a price that we didn't deserve to have paid for us. It was God's love and His compassion toward us that made Him pay it. And then He gave us His Word to communicate the way to live pleasing in His sight and admonishes us to do that, to live holy, to live with a a certain amount of healthy fear because of the price that was paid for us. And then comes the time of waiting. The time where God allows us to consider, to make our decision about all the things that He's done for us. About the way that He's taught us to live and to to move in this world. And so 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise. He's not slow, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We're, we're like a wall that's shifting back and forth. And God's waiting for us to settle down. Hopefully settling down just perfectly in line with Him. But, verse 10 the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Today the Lord waits patiently until the moment that God's wrath and judgment cannot be put off anymore. That judgment is coming. We are charged with being ready ourselves and with helping others prepare for the next big step in God's process. And that's judgment on all nations of people, not just the ones alive today, but all nations who have ever existed and all who, 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 well, I guess there will be no more once He comes in judgment, right? That's the end of everything. Everyone's called into judgment. We need to recognize the Lord's process is one that offers 
the most leniency possible while still remaining just. You recognize that? We talked earlier about the fact that he doesn't begin with judgment. He didn't send Jesus here to judge us and condemn us for the way that humanity had been living so against God. If he did, compassion would have no place at all. There would be no place for him to show mercy because judgment would have been immediate on everyone. And so he begins with compassion, blessing us beyond what we deserve, beyond Everything and so, so that we may return to Him, serve Him willingly, and be saved from the judgment. That's God's hope for us, is that the judgment, He will be able to welcome every soul to Him. He waits for that day. He hopes for that day. After looking at that process, I sat down and I just thought about it for a while. It's better than anything I could have come up with. It's better than anything any government could come up with. And then I read this passage, 2 Peter 2 verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to do that. He knows the best way to do both of those things. His process that He holds to, compassion first, judgment at the right time on those who continue in rebellion, that is the best way. God knows how to do it. God knows the right timing of all of those steps so that the best impact can be made, so that the best outcome can be had. And we need to trust Him. We need to recognize that His compassion and His mercy has been poured out for us through the death of His Son on the cross. And today He waits patiently, but His patience has very real limits. And we do not want to press them. We must not press them. The next step in His process is judgment on those who continue in rebellion. And so tonight, if you're not right with God, it's crucial that you return to Him while you can. If you're one of those who waits for a sign from God, I guarantee you, you're not going to get any better than tonight when you hear a message directly from His Word that calls you to come back while you still can. A message that calls you to straighten up because the plumb line will tell if you are crooked. Don't wait for the plumb line moment to realize straight is the way you want to be. Stand straight by listening to and following the Word God's provided. Open the Scriptures and read them every single day. Examine yourself by them. Examine your character by them every day and work to live your life the way Christ would live it. I realize that not all of us are people who are going to wander around in the wilderness as Jesus did and wander between city and city on foot and gather multitudes of people, but all of us can live life, our life, the way that Christ would with His priorities, with His goal. To seek and save the lost. 
Work to live your life the way Christ would live it and seek God's forgiveness when you're found in sin. Because when you're found in sin and you refuse to look to God and come to Him seeking His forgiveness, you're testing His patience and you're becoming slightly crooked. And the plumb line will see it. Seek His forgiveness. Seek His way through His Word. If you've not obeyed the Gospel tonight, we've got water ready for you. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for your sins and was buried and raised again on the third day, and you're ready to repent of your sins, confess Him as Lord before us, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in His name, then we're ready to help you in that and aid you. We can't aid you if we don't know. And if you're here tonight and you're a Christian who needs to seek forgiveness from God, do that. Do that. Don't leave without His forgiveness. Don't leave without making everything right. Leave straight, not crooked. If you have a need tonight, please make it known by coming forward as we stand and sing.